Podcast 174. We continue our Wicked Lester discussion. Episode 3 with side 2 of Wicked Lester. Wicked Lestery, we're back. <laughs> Wicked Lestery. <laughs> yeah. All right, Kiss Army. You wanted the best? You got the best. Now close your eyes. You're about to be podcast. Welcome back to your podcast. I'm Ken Mills, one of your hosts here today. Today we are discussing what we are calling Wicked Lester Side 2. And we welcome back Gary Schaller. Wicked Lester time. Yes. And Julian Gill from the KISS FAQ podcast and a series of fantastic books. Thanks for having me back. Love your work, Julian. So we have something really cool for everybody listening today. If you've not yet heard of Click Tees and the Click Tees shop yet, you are really missing out. It was created by Ed Sandenberg, and it is a great place to get KISS-themed shirts. It's These t-shirts are true works of art that reach into the deepest nostalgia of the hottest band in the world. There's tons of great designs, such as the Demon's First Stage Shirt, the Demon Skull, the new Spaceman Smoking Guitar, or the Catman's Cadillac Michigan High School Jacket, the, the black cat one that he wore, Gary. Yeah. And, of course, you've seen the Phantom of the Park, right? I like that. And there's also the Talismans from the Phantom of the Park and the Love Gun Stage Riser, New York Groove, the Eric Carr shirts. And right now there's a God Gave Rock and Roll to You limited edition long sleeve shirt that you can get. They've got over 20 plus killer designs that when another Kiss fan sees these, they go, oh yeah, I know what that's all about. (laughs) So we want to encourage you to check it out. And today it is your lucky day. Anyone listening to this particular episode of Podkiss can go to the contact page of clickteeshop.com to enter your name in the message field. Simply type in Wicked Lester from Podkiss to get your chance to win a Click Tea Shop Wicked Lester t-shirt for free. That's right, free. And Ed's told us that the more entries we get from our Podkiss listeners and friends... The guys at Click T Shop will throw in some other bonus Click T Shop merch. So go to www.clicktshop.com today. That's www.clicktshop.com today. So that's pretty cool. And now here we are, back to our discussion on Wicked Lester. I'm really enjoying discussing the history of Wicked Lester, or I guess we could say once again, Wicked Lestery. So here's the first track on side two of the Wicked Lester album, or what we're calling the Wicked Lester album, which is actually track six. Too many Mondays. Lost my mind Now I'm tired 
too many Mondays. I think we've touched on this in the last episode, but those early bootleg versions that circulated had a lot of audio artifacts in the background. And what I think of when I hear that version of this song is it sounds like in the background, you've got Jabba the Hutt waking up from a nap because that's what I hear. You get the do 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 in the background. You hear. (laughs) Do you know what I'm talking about? Does it sound like that to anyone else? That would be Gene realizing what they were recording. (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) What have we done? We mentioned earlier about the songwriting of Barry Mann. He's back with Too Many Mondays and joined by Cynthia Well. I've always thought that this song had the Bell Studio sound, and by that I mean the Partridge family. Because huh. they were on the Bell label. And it this, to me, sounds like a Partridge family song. The instrumentation, the production. You get the horns again, too, right? Yes. Now, we, we mentioned the songwriting team of Man and Well. Not Man Well, but who played mm-hmm. congas for us last year. Yeah. Yeah. I'm from Barcelona. <laughs> I'm sorry. I just cracked myself up there. Anyway, another monkey's connection here because uh, the song Shades of Grey was written by them. And, you know, you mentioned some of the great hits that uh, Barry Mann was part of. You're My Soul, My Heart, Inspiration by the Righteous Brothers. Oh, wow. From Paul Revere and the Raiders, Kicks, Hungry. There's just a list as long as my arm of hits that this guy was part of. So it's just absolutely amazing. Oh my God, go and listen to Kicks right now. Oh my goodness. Thank you for mentioning that song, by the way. Love it. I love that song. Love that song. Mark Lindsay, you rock. Great song. And, you know, it's weird, but Paul Revere and the Raiders, a band that didn't get their just desserts, still aren't getting it. And and that song, uh, you later will hear, like even on Monster, you hear stuff that comes from the Raiders. Seriously. Yeah. It's it's in there, folks. It's part of the yeah, DNA. That's right. So, uh, great stuff. What do you think of this version of this song, Julian? Well, which version? Because the, the rough version, the early one, has Gene on lead vocal, which um, didn't last. I mean, he, he kept the harmonizing at the beginning of the song, and then Paul does the, the lead vocal on it. I have never been a fan of this one. I know Paul loves it. He's mentioned it in recent years. I think he got together with Barry and actually played it together on the acoustic guitar. I mean, imagine to be a fly on the wall watching Paul Stanley and Barry Mann knock out too many Mondays on acoustic. Hey, Mm. take Barry on the cruise. There you go. It's just not my sort of material. It's too light. It's too poppy. I can understand them, you know, reaching into a bag of songs from Ron Johnson saying, you know, pick two of these. You're going to record them today. But... Again, just not my my sort of material. It really needs the touch of George Martin as a producer to really take that sort of material and um, make it pop. But I don't think I'd even like it then. Mm. Understand? It's a B side, you know, and it's like a sleepy little song that that belongs on the on the reverse, where the A side is "Keep Me Waiting," and that's the B side. And 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 uh, and it's not best. It's not like you turn to turn the record over and play the B side over and over again. It's fine, but it's a B-side. Well, there's one thing that we have to kind of take into account. Like I mentioned that we heard the Raiders' influence. And as much as people want to bag on Paul Stanley and his project for Soul Station, I can find a lot of soul in the music of Paul Stanley where he took things from The Temptations 
or you know uh smoky robinson the miracles and stuff like that i mean shop around you listen to a uh-huh. song like shop around that is move on right it's right. it's just a more cynical version of of shop around what's that one that we i always think of is uh in nowhere to run the like uh you know won't the shoulder to lean on yeah not gonna happen twice yeah 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 four tops and the temptations all that stuff it's great stuff mm-hmm. yeah same with i was made for loving you four tops uh, or the temptations right there with the kind of harmonizing absolutely yeah someday i'd like to do a episode on the soul of kiss right Oh, yeah, that'd be great. I think it'd be a fun what-if kind of a thing. But you you got to realize that as resistance as Gene and Paul might have been to somebody else's material, when you take a look at what Barry Mann has written, and he is a proven chart topper, right? I mean, he was always just so many hits that came out of that guy that Gene and Paul also respected him because he the 45s that they grew up with, whether it was Gene dancing at a, a twist contest or Paul watching on where the action is or, the, you know, American Bandstand, what have you, these were the guys that wrote those songs. So, mm-hmm. so yeah. there you go. Well, I mean, listen, I, I, we can complain about it, but it, let's face it, it's, it's, a, it's a hell of a lot better than anything I'll ever write. <laughs> it's really good, you know. I just not my cup of tea. It, it and it and it, it it puts the record to sleep. You know, there's some high energy stuff, even though Wicked Lester has a mellowness to it. There's some high energy material that just puts it to sleep. Yeah, but if you go to 1970, whatever, right? Mm-hmm. This is the kind of stuff. I mean, John Denver was going to explode any minute, right? <laughs> like if you would have had Jim Croce yes. or John Denver sing this song, we would Could've be been. singing it and it would be used in commercials to this day. Oh, sure. Yeah. Or, as I mentioned, The Partridge Family, do you, it also on Barry Mann's list of songs, he wrote two for The Partridge Family, too. So this is that sound. It really does sound like Bell Studios to me. Well, it's too many Mondays, and it's easy like Sunday morning. Exactly. Which is Oh, nice pick, Gary. Perfect. <laughs> there you go. Thank you. Okay, so our next track is. I, I, it goes into in the. It doesn't go right into, but the next track, uh, at least on the first bootleg that came out, was in the darkness. Mm-hmm. What happens in the darkness? Mm-hmm. 
what happens in the darkness. Yeah. Julian Gill, your thoughts on what happens in the darkness? This is one of my favorite Wicked Lester uh, mysteries. Back when this album came out, most of us didn't know who all these songs were by, other than, you know, the very clearly Gene and Paul written ones. And this one became a mission for me. And finally tracking down its original release to a band called Infinity in 1971, um, they were a gospel trio. And Tammy Lester Smith, who, how funny that her middle name was Lester, you know. Nice. Just think about that for a second. Wow, the universe is insane. You know, did a great version of this that Gene and Paul, you know, they mimicked um, the callbacks, the oohs, the ahs, the, you know, all the structure that was there. And we were talking about, you know, the R&B and the gospel kind of influences that often go unnoticed while well, it's right here and in your face especially when you compare this to the original version absolutely amazing song i think it's for something that's outside of the genres i generally listen to i always love the power that really came through in this recording and it's one of the songs on on this album and the many versions of it that has an underlying musical power that proved that this band could actually kick some serious butt in the studio Yes, mm-hmm. and and uh, you get that Paul Stanley vocal conviction that that makes early Kiss so compelling as well. Plus that mellow gene. There's this breakdown in the middle. Uh, if you don't love that woman, just tell her so. <laughs> and if you need more love than she could give, let her know. And then Paul comes <laughs> in with the "You're lying and you're cheating for the love that you've been keeping." And a really great dynamic and solid drumming, hard, heavy drumming. Very cool song. That could have been a Kiss stomper, I think, if you get Peter Chris involved in singing it. Right? Could you imagine this with Peter on, uh, you know, singing that that like those soulful lyrics? I dig where you're coming from, but I'm just gonna say, make it easy on yourself. Make it, yeah, make it easy on yourself. The other thing about this song, right, is it is. Uh, I don't. I don't know which one came out first uh, in terms of the Infinity song, or or the fifth dimension but this is you know that let the sunshine right at the end of aquarius right Mm -hmm. it's it's very much the same song yeah davy jones i remember uh in an interview he did in australia he did this thing where he was trying to create broadway rock and he was like there before hair you know what i mean he wanted to do this and it kind of popped up not saying he created it but he was aiming for that but it did become a thing, and you had everything from Godspell to Jesus Christ Superstar or Hair, as you mentioned, mm-hmm. the Fifth Dimension Aquarius. It's total Broadway rock, and you've got a rock slide guitar solo not heard on a Kiss record until hits. Right. right? So <laughs> That's true, well, yeah. And, and it's, it's got Paul Stanley playing the dobro. I mean, come on, again, that instrument just lying around the studio, and Paul's like, hey, i got to use this today, man. Look at me. But what I love, it again, you know, is how they kept the arrangement, uh, which had female and male singers trading off the vocals, and they emulated it. And as I think Gary mentioned about Paul singing, it really is gut singing on this, isn't it, from him? Mm-hmm. So much, yeah. It's great. You could see this being performed during a musical. Well, yeah, hair at the Apollo. Yeah, exactly. Let me ask you a question about this Infinity thing. Did it have the that descending bass line that runs counter to what else is going on to everything else? That boo doom boo doom boo doom boo doom like it's going down while everything's going up? 
but that doesn't sound like something Gene would have come up on his own. As as crazily as inventive as a bass player Gene is, I can't see him doing that. It breaks the rules of the Beatles. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Although, 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 I'm just thinking about what is it? I want you. She's so heavy. You know, you get that like da 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 dum 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 dum. You know what I'm talking about? Uh huh. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. It's great. Yeah, it, I'll I'll give you the track. You go listen to it because it's uh, a f- absolutely fantastic uh, original version to compare. line in that original great that is so good kudos to gene for for doing what he did with it you know it's pretty good also to go back to the sort of the bootleg lineage of the song the, that first tape we all had starts with a bang for the song you know, right into that then later on i think in the 90s was when the the earlier sessions the earlier wicked lester sessions came out and this has a little bit more of a Okay, wow, lead leading into it. So um, I'm happy to 
I'm happy. Yeah, the return of the Chucka guitars. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, okay. But it's so weird to hear Gene doing that really incredibly high nasally part. And I'm just going to isolate this bit just because it's so surreal. If you don't love that woman, just tell her so. And if you need more love than she can give, let her know. Or if you feel that you love her, but the love becomes a routine. <laughs> we really don't see that gene until his solo album again, right? We don't really get close to that until his solo albums again, but... Uh, oh, no, yeah. Amazing. Good singing. Yeah, but it just sounds so strange with everything we know about Gene. Paul, you can hear him. I mean, he's bitching someone out during this song. He's like some voodoo priestess preacher telling someone, you better fucking repent now, Jack. You know what I mean? Right. He's, he's laying it down on it. There's also like a, you know, it's, it doesn't surprise me, Julian, that it's a gospel group, you know, that from which this song originates, because there's that thing, like Ken, you were saying about how he's preaching that, that, that part at the end where he goes, you know, but it ain't a good thing. And you hear, no, no, it ain't a good thing. No, you know what I'm talking about? Like mm-hmm. you get this, like the, the really preaching to the choir kind of thing, almost like, you know, he could be talking about hellfire and damnation. Can I get an amen? We give that one three thumbs up, right? Very much so. Okay. All right. It's just as well they didn't do the B-side for the Infinity single, which was uh, titled Do Your Thing Like Jesus. That's pretty hot. Yeah. I mean, because who doesn't want to hear a guy from Israel and a, and a Jew from Queens do that song? <laughs> I mean, why not? Boy. Okay, so the next song is... Then, actually, if we're going to be talking about that Gene singing, mm-hmm. this next song, this is, I think, Gene's finest hour on the whole Wicked Lester shebang, which is When the Bell Rings.
the bell rings. Ugh. No, not feeling it. Not not in love with this one, huh? No, I, I like it as a song, but we've been talking about some of the stuff that, you know, would have been maybe a a better song four years before this, say 1967. It, it, it's such a socially conscious protest song. Um, again, it was written by Austin and Roberts, or Austin Roberts, and originally recorded by uh, Newport News. And Gene singing, like, what's essentially a war protest does not work. You know, go back to spitting fire, eating cookies, and talking about uh, the chief's daughter. Because, again, this band didn't have any social consciousness other than simple types. Right. And it is kind of a similar lyric to simple type. People, people lining up in the streets and you know, can't you find yourself before that day? And, and um, it's ringing out a warning because the line is forming, right? That's what uh, when the bell rings says. But that vocal, though. Oh, it's a great vocal. You, you get, yeah, from the, the Gene part, he's way up there. And it's, uh, uh, it, it, you know, you don't, uh, he does that falsetto almost like, I, dare I say, like Michael Jackson y kind of stuff going on. Um, similar to what we hear later in um, Always Near You, Nowhere to Hide. And Naked City. And Naked City, yes, absolutely. Which if Bono from U2 would have did that part in Naked City, Rolling Stone would be saying it's the greatest vocal ever. So mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I stand by that opinion. I'll even sit down by that opinion. Very good. I'll make out with it on a public bench in a park. Can we play the fade out? I want to play some of the fade out vocals from when the bell rings so you can hear what Gene's got going on here. It's it's masterful. You mean when the bell rings without a warning? Because well, the line is forming. That's right. It's getting plain to see. So there's the outro. So do we give this one a thumbs up, thumbs down, three thumbs up? What are we What are we doing here, folks? Thumbs up for me. I really like it. Mm-hmm. I think I've been pretty harsh on it, but again, it's you get your chucka guitars in this again, don't you? Mm-hmm. There's also something else in this song that I think has to push me towards giving the thumbs up. Clavinet. Mm. Stevie Wonder. So... I think there are some elements, again, uh, when we talk about some of the influences that come in, that make it interesting enough to give a thumbs up to, even if I'm not sold by Gene delivering these lyrics. There's a neat ramp up bit with the bass, too, or, or I think all the instruments basically going, da, 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 you know what I'm talking about? Like everything kind of beads up. It's almost like you're taking off off the runway that, that happens. But it's, it's a, there are really cool things going on in this song as far as arrangement and performance goes. Mm-hmm. What about you, Ken? Is it a thumbs up? Yeah, but again, we don't see protest gene until Carnival of Souls, right? So, uh, <laughs> or what? What would become the more cynical mm-hmm. 
political gene. It's just interesting to see where the career might have happened and what would have happened to a demon had this become a big thing, right? Yeah, well, the Wicked Lester gene says, you know, come on, guys, get it together. We can do this. The the Kiss gene says, "Uh, fuck you, you're going to hell. (laughs) (laughs) And where's your girlfriend at? Right, yeah, yeah, exactly. Leave her here. You can fuck right off. (laughs) You go get me a sandwich, leave her. I'm hungry. Leave her. I think there's one other thing we haven't mentioned on this song uh, before moving on. And again, you've got Gene and Paul trading off vocals. Yeah. You know, which was the case with, you know, several of these Lester recordings have something that they didn't do very often in Kiss. And when they did, they did it gloriously. I mean, it was something I know that I always look forward to them sharing a song and whether they were singing together, whether they were trading off verses or one doing the verse, one doing the chorus. I think that's something that's, you know, very enjoyable about listening to this album as a whole. You hear those two guys who at this point don't know that they're going to be together for the, basically the rest of their lives. You mean till the end of the road? They're going to be together until the end of the road. What a wonderful way to put it. Yeah, and how well they they sync. They're, they're perfectly meshed cogs. Yeah. There's that story. I hate to get a little sappy here, but there's a story in Gene's autobiography about, I think it was when one of the bands they were in fell apart or some some gig fell apart and they had to basically there's just the two of them virtually penniless sleeping in a barn somewhere in a thunderstorm and just that as a reflection of the beginning of like such an incredible partnership i i feel such gratitude for those two guys making it work as long as they have and then add to that gene's personal story as an immigrant Getting off of you know a plane in a foreign country and learning a language, living in barns, struggling to make it, and becoming Gene Simmons, American icon. Gene Simmons of the rock group Kiss. Getting beaten up by Peter, having Peter chase him down the road to beat him up all the time. <laughs> Stealing Gene's lunch money. That's right. God, I have a tear in my eye right now. It's just mm. so, yeah. Good stuff. Our next song... Molly. Also known as Some Other Guy, written by Paul Stanley. Uh, Julian, your thoughts on Molly? I have to wonder if this was Paul's reaction to some of the very McCartney-esque stuff that Gene wrote, stuff like See You Tonight, which existed at this time, and Paul going, well, you know what? I can write that stuff just as 
badly as Gene can and just knocking this one out. If I have any question about this, it's who really plays the banjo? Because both Paul and and Ron claim to have done it. So I, I think it's a great change of pace on the album. It's a quirky little song, but it's throwaway, what would John Lennon have called Paul stuff? Elevator music or Muzak. Mm, yeah. It really is the Muzak of this album. But interestingly, Molly, I believe, was the name of one of Paul's aunts. Or how do you say it in America? Aunts. <laughs> I didn't know that. I didn't know that either. It's a great lyric, and it, I, I like the chord progression. And I have to say, it's very. It was really. Um, Paul was way ahead of his time. Very, very. Uh, uh, had a lot of foresight to write. You know, in the age of like marijuana and LSD, to write a song about MDMA, right? Uh, <laughs> oh my god! Really, really, really. He was cool before. He, he was. He was cool before it was cool. Get the fuck out of here right now! I'm <laughs> uh, sorry. Uh, I think Molly is a great song. I, I really do like it. Um, the, the version that irritates me is the one with the arbitrary and uh, like a out of sync percussion thing that's added on top during the intro. Yeah, that that was Monty Python coming by with their coconut or what is it? Coconut horse hooves. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it really does sound like that. Um, but I do like this song. It's a lovely chord progression to play on, on acoustic guitar. And you get some weird stuff going on later on in the song. There's the do 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 But there's uh, some other thing. I don't know if it, it's flute or a weird keyboard. It almost sounds like calliope at times. Yeah, it's the keyboard. You know what it is? Celeste. Ooh. Is that right? believe yeah. so because uh again you've got some clavinet on this track so you know this is i think all down to brooke uh there's celeste um and the bass drum with the banjo so and, and uh, that weird bouncing in it just a detuned floor tom weird stuff like i mean the, again talk about lsd and marijuana um <laughs> you know when when someone goes in hey i got this song what it needs on it is some celeste some coconut horse hooves <laughs> right. and, and don't forget the clavinet I personally like that out of tune percussion. It, to me, it sounds like a windshield wiper as the car's running. You know, like he's driving with this girl or he's in the passenger seat and he's trying to say, hey, I care about you, right? right. And it's raining and you hear that. <laughs> I that. <laughs> you know, I agree, yeah. It kind of goes against the beat. And one thing that's a foreshadowing of Kiss Alive 2 is there are so many duplicated layered Paul Stanley vocals on this track. There's like at least 25 Paul Stanley singing, uh, singing various things to one another, too. Right. Yeah. Calling and responding to himself. Yeah. Well, you can just imagine the studio. I need someone to sing backings on this. No. Uh, Do it yourself. Yeah. Not doing it. Right. <laughs> But it is really beautiful, and I know I've mentioned the monkeys a couple times, but there's this, uh, you know, at about 120 where it says, Going round the bend. Just love that part. That's just great pop perfection. But when we get to this awesome outro that has that Celeste and the Hammond organ going, that sounds exactly like it's uh, from the Porpoise song off the, the Monkey's Head soundtrack. Huh. Nice. That's Do you know what I'm talking about? Good, yeah, good reference. Yeah. 
written by Carol King. Hold on a second. Off. Same instrumentation. Hear it? Uh -huh. same, it's like the same fucking note. Yes. Yeah, and this—that's where you hear in the in, in Molly, you hear the horns swell, and mm -hmm. the band sort of takes a, a, a like a, a deep breath in before going to the outro. Yeah, lovely, good, good, uh, good comparison. I like that. But you know, I've said that this album sounds like 1967, 1968. That's what I'm talking about. Right. Uh, a lot of the things that were that they're doing on this album were already so passe. I mean, you had Led Zeppelin, Sabbath, and you know all that happening. So it made a lot of the production choices on this album obsolete. You you clearly understand listening to it why Epic would have just said no thanks. This is the future sound of nothing. No, we're not interested. This is like the first Alice Cooper band album. Hmm. Yeah, I would agree. So then this leaves us with another song that uh, the, the album rounds out, at least almost every bootleg I've ever seen of this. It, this is the one in the 10th spot. And it is a song by the Hollies, and it's called We Want to Shout It Out Loud. And the chorus of their cover version of the Hollies, I Want to Shout, would serve as an inspiration for Shout It Out Loud from 1976 Destroyer. But I remember when I first saw this, I thought, oh my god, this is the early version of Shout It Out Loud, right? And I was so disappointed when it wasn't. But Yeah, of course, me too. I know that for a Gene Simmons and a Paul Stanley, someone who dug the work of the Hollies, this had to be like, oh yeah, we'll do that one, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Very little resistance. I had the same experience even listening to it for the first time on cassette, just thinking... This this is a, a a Gene or Gene and Paul composition, and this is what they were thinking when they did later did uh, shout it out loud. I figured they had written it. Those those bootleg tapes didn't come with uh, songwriting credits, right? Right. And uh, this this song was written by Alan Clark, the longtime singer of the Hollies, and Terry Sylvester, who has the unique. Uh, He's kind of the Tommy Thayer of the Hollies. He replaced Graham Nash. So, mm -hmm. so there you go. To find it all to tell me 
It's a nice song. I like, I like, I like the tune. I think they do a good job. It's got more of that, uh, you know, got Gene doing his. Do you find it hard to tell me? Yeah, I like it. What about you, Julian? I like this more on the slower versions of the album. When we get to by the time of the two thousand Universal remaster, it's been sped up so much that it's almost like Gene Simmons' Chipmunks album. Mm-hmm. Huh. And I'm also not a a big fan of Bubblegum. Which this is, this is totally bubblegum for me. I like what they did with it. I like what they kept from it in order to write Shout It Out Loud. That I understand, and it makes Shout It Out Loud make much more sense once you hear this and you get the elements of the emotion and what they're trying to get out of that chorus turned into a song or an anthem. So it's, it's very cool to have the lineage understood a bit more. Right. That's fair. I get that. You're saying, Julian, reminds me of a discussion we had offline about if this had come out and then Kiss had put the makeup on and adopted the, the sound for which they became famous. We were talking about how, you know, would that have worked? Yes or no. Right. If there had been like, let's say Wicked Lester had come out under the banner of Kiss and you get a band that evolves both stylistically in terms of the music, but also visually. 
would it have had the same impact? I was saying, I don't think so. I think Kiss has to come out the gate with the makeup and the music sounding the way it did. Well, you have to understand that the entertainment industry is very unforgiving. You take a look at somebody, uh, like, for example, I mentioned Davy Jones earlier, right? He started out as a jockey, then he wound up doing Broadway, then he wound up a recording artist, then he wound up on the Brady Bunch, and at some point he became, despite having all these talents, typecast as a certain thing, right? In America, we have this unique way of looking at someone that you're either this or you that, but you can't do both, right? Right, right, right. It's very rare that someone like a uh, Neil Patrick Harris is allowed to be because that guy can do anything. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But a lot of people, if you're Broadway, you're stuck there. If you're on TV, you're stuck there. If you're in the movies, you're there. We don't really like it when someone like a David Hasselhoff tries to change lanes, right? We, yeah. We're very unforgiving in this culture. We won't allow it. The ability to become a pop singer after you're a, a movie star or a TV star, I mean, it only happens like if a John Travolta or a David Soul wants to do it, right? Well, and you have to, you know, unfortunately, I guess for Dylan, although um, he seems to have recovered, he seems to have recovered just fine. You know, you, if you're Bob Dylan and you have your phase where you're wearing your makeup and you're playing your electric guitars and all, um, and then someone from the audience yells Judas, you know, you kind of like hit the floor and then you scramble back up and go back to what you're doing. In history, Wicked Lester only works as it is looking back, right? You have to have Kiss first and then you get to look back at Wicked Lester and go, oh, that's so interesting. I could see where this comes from. How How cool. But it, it, I don't know that it would have worked the other way. I don't think it would have worked at all. I don't think that there's any way that the kids who are buying KISS vans with stickers on the side and KISS record players would have been able to deal with this. It would have been so, you know... I, the, the only way it can work is if, like, for example, Fleetwood Mac... It's a complete, total reinvention. The name doesn't even really have to be Fleetwood Mac anymore. Like, for example, they started out as a blues band in the late 60s. And mm-hmm. by the time we got to what is arguably the most known version of Fleetwood Mac, it's got nothing to do with the original band except for the drummer, right? It's, it's, yeah. it's got nothing to do with anything. Fans of King Crimson know this phenomenon very well, too. Because, exactly. Uh, yeah, it happened to you know, get one of those Same bands with where Pink just, Floyd, you know, yeah. so many bands. Yeah. But as far as American rock and roll, once you are deemed uncool, you can't come back. I grant you Nickelback as an example. <laughs> Nickelback is a band that I personally enjoy. I'm not going to start a Nickelback cast, but I don't understand the hate and the vitriol towards them. And it's become a joke. And it really bothers me when I see people who use that simple joke of, well, it's like Nickelback, you know, because I thought we were better than that. Because I've always liked bands that I didn't give a fuck what you thought about them at all. You know what I mean? And it's sad yeah. to see so many people that are of great intelligence using Nickelback as a cheap punchline. Because... There, to, here's some other bands that were put on the same level as uh, Nickelback at some point. Journey, Foreigner, Def Leppard. Each of those were in that 
oh, those guys suck now category at some point. Bon Jovi was another one. And they all stayed together and they all came back and now they're American icons again, right? Or or rock and roll icons again, right? And we are all going to see them in concert and we are bringing our children. Right, yeah. So if you can just outlive it, but, but I don't think that as uncool as Wicked Lester would have been in 1973 that they could have cooled their way out of it. Here's how it would have worked or could have worked. Okay. Because the Turtles, that's a band that can release that album in any decade. And it would have, they would have done it well. And it would have been just as cool as any other Turtles record. I guess. Let's say they would have kept the name Wicked Lester. Okay. And everybody's gone. Ron Lee Jack says, fuck this, I'm out of here. Brooke Roster Anderson, I'm going to go be a teacher. You know, everybody leaves but Gene and Paul. They still get Peter Chris. They still wind up with Ace Fraley because Ace was sold on the project as we've got an album coming out. Here we are. Mm-hmm. They right. just didn't play it for him. Right. Yeah, we've got we've got all this nifty material. This is Deuce. <laughs> yep. Yeah. And that's how Kistry came to be, and thank God. It all worked out, right? But Wicked Lester was the concept, and they changed the concept to be Kiss. It totally... Right. I mean, they could have used the name, but there was something about the name Kiss, right? There was something mysterious about it, something that made you go, well, what's going on? And at the time when gender bending was such a big thing in rock, it was a smart thing to do. I disagree. Why? One of my little pet theories has been about the name Kiss. Mm-hmm. I think it was a ripoff. I don't think it happened in a car like they say it. I think it was the New York Dolls and that song, Looking for a Kiss. And mm-hmm. this was their reaction. Here is that kiss. So I think it's tied together rather than anything else. So Well, maybe they were in the car playing that. Looking for a kiss, here's your answer to the Dolls. Yeah, that's interesting. But going back to the names, I'll tell you what, uh, with no disrespect toward Michael Doré, great visual artist, the graphic designer, um, he did the rock and roll over and Sonic Boom covers, lots of other logos that we know, and he designed a, a logo for Wicked Lester. That thing is so difficult to replicate. It's like a Celtic knot versus you take a shower, you get out of the shower, the mirror is fogged up, you take your finger, you write the kiss logo it takes five seconds done classic every everybody listening to this has done this on their on their loose leaf binders in high school uh you know if you know take your keys out and do it on a locker you know uh wicked lester by the time you were up to the second word the principal would have caught you and you would be in detention right well yeah i mean who has those technical tools required to draw that bloody logo Right. I mean, it, it was a, it was very interesting. And you know what? It doesn't feel 1972 in terms of its kind of um, design value. So, I, I mean, kudos to to Doré for creating that. But, wow, what a, what a, you know, there's Gene's little sketch of, the, you know, a nice little ribbon. And then you get someone with a, with a triangle, a protractor, a pair of glasses, a pocket protector who's just come from his day job at nasa to uh, or nasa to um do the logo okay i'm here mm-hmm. yeah yeah right. we're serious i'm gonna listen to jazz while i draw 
And it's weird because we talk about the name Wicked Lester or even that logo. My God, that looks like a failed band from 1985, doesn't it? It sounds yeah. like you've got Twisted Sister, you know, and all these things. And Keel had their logo and all these bands had their big logo because the logo became more important than the music at some point in the 80s. <laughs> Because every guy starts out when, hey, we're going to start a band. Hey, Joey, let's start a band, right? You start making logos instantly. Right. Whether you've played one note of music together. But I could see uh, you open up a picture of Rip Magazine or Hit Parader, and there's this new band, Wicked Lester, and that's the logo. It looks so 1985. Yeah, they're in the back in the reviews section like you know where their their new ep came out and they show a lot of promise and yeah and we never hear from them again right but the guitarist went kiss think think of that picture you know it's like twisted sisters under the blade back cover photo from you know a decade later it's basically the same thing i i don't want to say it's like a you know a bunch of guys outside the food stamp office but kind of yeah, I, I mean, it's the United Nations. It goes straight back to that quote from Gene. Wicked Lester looked like a bunch of guys waiting for the bus. Yeah, actually, it's it's Paul Stanley. Wicked Lester was a kind of like the United Nations. You had one of everything in it. You had a Norwegian, an Italian, two Jews, and a partridge in a pear tree. It was a Doobie Brothers kind of band. When you take a look at it, there's one of everything, but you can't quite put your finger on what it is. What a great quote from Paul. Yeah, it's good. It's good. And the music is like that, too, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. It's all over the map. And that picture is blurry, and that's Wicked Lester. That's what we have. Wait, that's not all we have. We have one more song, don't we? Yes. Right? Because there are versions of the uh, Wicked Lester recording, or Wicked Lester sessions, or whatever, where that is included. And I believe that's... uh, I, 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 I think, Julian, correct me if I'm wrong... That's something that they recorded with um, Steve Cornell, and then it just—it didn't hang in there uh, over time. That is the one remaining mystery from this album for me. I think um, we still don't know who wrote that. Paul has alluded to uh, you know, that was written by a couple of English guys. Well. I don't know what English guys would know about the old Foxy River and building a railroad across the land and all that, but that thing, that's the sore thumb. That sticks out like crazy on this album. So it it would be totally understandable um, if they cut that one early on with Steve, just again going through other songwriters' materials, or maybe that's Paul's story, that someone else wrote it because it was him. Weird song, very strange, uh, very folksy, Pete Seeger-ish. Um, I, I, I don't get it. I can't relate to it. Um, I don't even think it's that good of a performance or a vocal. Um, if I'm to give anything a thumbs down off this album or off this discussion, it'll be this one song. But, you know, again, as it holds a mystery, it's still interesting. Mm-hmm. All right, well, then without further ado or further don't, here is Long Long Road, a bonus track, if you will, if there can be a bonus track on a bootleg, right? So <laughs> Long Long Road with Wicked Lester. I was born in the middle of the night And my mama raised a little boy On the banks of the old Fox River in 
You know, in, in the days of going to record stores uh, in Manhattan and seeing uh, bootleg CDs, the, I, 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 I don't really care for Long Long Road. I think, Julian, you summed it up perfectly. But there was a real excitement that I felt seeing that on a track listing when I, it was like 1997 or 8 or 9, uh, that, that that first surfaced in the bootleg market, I think. Um, and I came upon a, a Wicked Lester bootleg CD and I would have just passed it over thinking, oh, this is just the same damn thing that I've had for a decade or whatever, except for the fact that it listed this one song that wasn't on any of the other ones. And I'm glad I bought it because it wasn't just this song that was different. I think that was, that was the first version that started to materialize of those earlier 1971 recordings that had um, Steve Cornell on them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's not a. I don't think it's a. It's not a song I return to with any frequency. Although it is again nice to hear. I think Gene and Paul harmonizing during the the choruses. Mm-hmm. Remember earlier on when I said something you hear today may be something new for someone, you know, and that song and your story about picking it up was exactly that. It was interesting. It was something unheard, unknown at that time. And it was such a glorious time to be a fan when all this stuff was kind of leaking out and you were kind of learning about these things for the very first time. Now it's kind of mundane to try and look back and um, try and project back to what you felt when you first heard it because I I played it a ton of times when it first came out and I've just sounded very dour about it. Long, long road. Is thankfully not too long a song, right? <laughs> and and hopefully, folks listening, someone who's listening, at least one person, hopefully for them, this uh, episode of podcast will be that same experience where they go, oh, I've never heard any of this stuff before. And everything is pretty much on YouTube. If you want to stream it, that's you can probably find this stuff on YouTube or hunt it down. I remember the first time I saw the Wicked Lester stuff on CD, it was a picture from the Dynasty era of Kiss. Yes, yes. And it had a white cover, it's a white photo, and it said, Wicked Lester, the complete sessions. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah, that was the first CD that went around. There was a, there was a vinyl record, too. Yeah. Earlier with um, a mid-70s Peter Chris drum riser photo. Yeah, so weird. Wicked Lester and Progeny, yeah. And of course, we, we all had some version of this that, that included as well the 1973 Eddie Kramer Kiss demos. So a nice, um, a nice way to kind of track that evolution of sound. So there's three things I want to talk about. We're going to end this episode of the podcast. But the first thing is the feedback we got from Wicked Lester Part 1. It's been a lot of fun uh, to read the stuff, and it's been a blast uh, people seem to really like our start of a Wicked Lester concert where we had music, the audience from Alive going into Lover All I Can or whatever. It was it, it going into a Wicked, a Wicked Lester song that was a lot of fun. People seem to really enjoy that. Yeah, it was great. The other thing was Michael Doré's logo. It just blew people away that this had been a chunk of history that was forgotten. Yeah, I, I wasn't aware of it until we had that conversation. Or Wicked Lestery, right? Cause... <laughs> Wicked Lestery. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's the key point, Gary. No one knows it all. There's always something new to discover. 
and that's the magic that will eternally be part of my history that there's always going to be something new whether it interests anyone else is beside the point to me if it interests me or it fills in a blank for you know stuff i've done over the years or corrects something i thought i knew then that's even better and that's what it's all about well said so the last question i want to ask the panel given everything that we've discussed in wicked lester part one and this the roundtable part two of wicked lester the album in quotes will we ever see this legitimately released as we talked about there was the 2001 black box set from kiss that had three songs from this on it will we ever see a legitimate release of wicked lester yes Okay. <laughs> do, do I have to justify? No. Think about it. In 2000, they remastered or fixed up the whole album. Why would they have paid to do it if they're only going to use three songs? Eventually, they're going to go dig back into the vaults like other bands. You may have noticed yesterday Def Leppard announced a, you know, a 40th anniversary edition of On Through the Night. They're going to put out a, a live recording from that tour um, that they've just found. So there's always going to be a record label that's willing to try and cash in and, you know, all the KISS fans have listened to this album. How many would love to buy a really nicely packaged up version of the album, pristine quality of the demos of various mixes with Paul and Gene being interviewed by Ken Sharp to go track by track and talk about these ones. Um, photos from Paul Stanley's personal collection and, of course, that glorious April 1971 acoustic reel that Paul recently discovered. I mean, come on. It, it kind of sells itself to all... 321 of us who might be interested in it yes that's the problem well i'm hoping i'm alive to uh experience it right well i mean yeah this is would a package like that be awesome yes does it make sense absolutely could they market it intelligently put the kiss logo somewhere on there and people might go out and buy it perhaps but if not it wouldn't surprise me that that they didn't do it it, it slots perfectly into that category of like kissed opportunities you know the love gun reloaded or whatever thing you know where you you know thank you for some bonus tracks but where's everything you know because we want everything we don't just want a few things we want all the things thank you very much well rhino records does this thing called handmade sets where they put a limited edition out of certain stuff and this would make one hell of a handmade set you know, where you pretty much the only people who get it are the people that order it. Yeah. Yeah. But would Rhino ever touch anything after the vault? I don't know. I'm hoping. Put me down for a copy. I want one. Yeah. I would buy two. Nice. I would totally buy it direct, you know, for a premium. Uh, if you came up with a good package, uh, you know, I, was, I would buy it anyway because I do try and support them. I just think, again, they missed the boat for all these great opportunities to celebrate milestones or to cash in on, you know, the end of the road tour when people's attention is kind of focused on them a bit more. 
they go for the easy stuff, which to me says that there's a lot of business stuff in the background that makes a lot of these pipe dreams impossible, you know, that we're just not aware of as fans. There must be challenges uh, in terms of legalities or other issues. And it may just be a, a matter that it's easy as just to press up a copy of Rock and Roll Over in orange vinyl and flog that to the to the fans who want it rather than go through interviews, going through archives, getting clearances, making sure the songwriters are getting paid, all of those little I's to be dotted and T's to be slashed, you know, need to be done. You don't think it's also got to do with that thing that we've talked about before where maybe Gene and Paul lacks a sense of perspective when it comes to um, missteps or left turns, right? Well, you said it in a better way that KISS does not forgive their failures easily. Until it happens, or unless it happens, we, we of this show will lament forever uh, the fact that the original four members of KISS did not get together, put aside their, their pride and differences, and do a commentary track for KISS Meets the Phantom. Hilarious. It would be amazing. Would have been fantastic. It would, it would be great. You know, there's still time, but the clock ticks. On the other hand, just think, wouldn't it be something if in 2022 we got the 50th anniversary of Wicked Lester? Please, because we'll all buy it, if you know, if we're lucky. <laughs> yeah, just do a thing where we pay a premium price and we all sign on the dotted line and those of us that order get it. You know, going back to the Turtles for a second, Frank Zappa, who, you know, they were all in the band together. Frank Zappa had that series of, of CDs called Beat. Beat the boots, right? Yeah. Kiss have got to get on that. Come on. You know, we, we, I, I feel un poquito bad, uh, you know, on this show where we talk about recording, you know, illegitimate recordings or um, bootlegs or anything. And, and, and if it was available officially, we would encourage listeners to buy it the, the right way. Absolutely. We would buy this in a heartbeat. Yes. You hear that, Kiss? Again, you get back to legal and business issues. Right. Sadly. I'm sure that's true. Yeah. Well, I want to thank you, Julian Gill, for being part of this. And I'm loving going through the early days of Wicked Lestry in this case and in Kistry. And I'm so glad you're along for the ride. Gary, thank you for letting me be part of your show. It's been a blast. Oh, my God. Thank you for letting me be part of yours. Come on. <laughs> but we we started this in 2006 and we played it the first episode an anniversary is coming up who would have thought but here we are we've stayed alive this long right and it's just been a blast this show has changed my life me too and i feel for the better me too absolutely oh i'm so grateful just think about this think about this ken this show has changed many people's lives that's the legacy that you guys have created, and that's an amazing thing that I'm always very honored to be on one of your episodes because of what you've done for the KISS community. So thank you for being you, and thank you to those people who, help, who helped you along the way. Oh, right back at you, Julian. The KISS Army owes you an, an eternal debt of gratitude, all the things that you've written and uncovered and the many conversations, good and bad, that you've facilitated uh, on, on the the message board um you know it, that's what greases the wheels of history in, in in a meaningful way for the fan base so thanks thanks all um and should we do this again for 1973 oh we're gonna do a lot of things as a matter of fact i propose that we do an episode 
where we take some early performances by a band named Kiss before they were Kiss and uh, kind of review them. What do you think? Sound good? I like that. There's Kiss, and then there's Kiss, right? There's a, there's a difference. Kiss. Life yeah. in the woods would be, would be easy. easy. <laughs> and don't forget to check out clicktshop.com. And you can put the words Wicked Lester from Podkist in the message field over at clicktshirt.com for a chance to win a free Wicked Lester t-shirt from the fine folks over at clicktshop.com. So make sure you do that. Happy holidays from all of us here at the Podkist, from Gary, from Julian, from Brian Cramp, from Christy and the Button Queen, from Matt and the whole Kiss Room band. Anthony Porter from all of us here. Happy holidays. Enjoy uh, as much turkey or whatever you like to eat. God bless y'all. All All right. We will see you all on the next episode of your podcast. We want to thank you for listening. We'd like to thank Kiss and the folks who made up Wicked Lester. (laughs) Thank you for this interesting bit of music and history. Thank you very much. See you next time. We will see you on the next episode. Bye. All right, see you, folks. Take care, guys. Bye. Bye. Okay, we'll see you. Bye. Thank you. I wish you all the best. Thanks. Remember the best holiday in the world? Another day above ground day. Don't Mm -hmm. wait. Don't look at the calendar to say, oh, today's uh, Mm -hmm. tie my shoelaces day. Mm -hmm. Best holiday you can have is waking up in the morning. God bless you all. Thank you. Thank you. you. Happy holidays to you. And that is our show. Thanks again for listening. Be sure to check us out on the web at www.podcast.com. You can also find us on Facebook and on iTunes. If you'd like to contact the podcast, please drop us a line at podcast at gmail.com. Big thanks to Julian and everyone at kissfaq.com. They've got great information there and a terrific message board, too. Thanks also to Keith LaRue and everyone else at Kiss Online for their great work representing the hottest band in the land. And as always, a big thanks to Paul Stanley, Gene Simmons, Ace Fraley, Peter Chris, Vinnie Vincent, Bruce Kulick, Eric Singer, Tommy Thayer, and the memory of the late great Eric Carr, and the late great Mark St. John. You are KISS, and we are your army. Podkist is created by the KISS Army for the KISS Army, and it is available for free as an internet download. If you like what you hear on our show, go buy it and support the people who made it. Podcast is not affiliated with KISS or any of its members past or present. On behalf of myself, Ken, and the whole rest of the Podkiss crew, thank you for listening to Podkiss, the KISS fanzine for your ears. What the fuck is this show? Woo! <laughs> Wee! <laughs> 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 It's Friday, and I've been in meetings for five hours. Oh, God. I literally just got out of one. I was was in one a lot yesterday, but not today. You bragging? Bragging. I'm in a meeting. I have a job. (laughs) I'm gainfully employed. I'm Gary Scheller. I'm better than you. No, you're going to sit down today. Uh, am I sitting down? Am I sitting down right now? No, but you will as soon as we 
get serious. How can you actually tell that? Because I can hear your sounds like a horse walking on a wooden floor. I can take my shoes off. I can take my horseshoes off. (laughs) Just sit down. Be a professional. I don't even sit down at work. All right, hold on. That's cool and all, but you used to, remember back when you used to have to edit the shows, you used to sit down with headsets on, and then you make me have to try to edit out squeaking floors and you sorting CDs that you don't own and paper clips and whatever nervous fidgeting that you're doing. If you would do the dishes every now and then. I do the dishes twice a day, goddammit. I am supine. I am lying on my bed. Oh, good come a thing and you had everything from godspell to jesus christ superstar or hair as you mentioned the fifth dimension aquarius gary would you stop making tea and go sit down again sorry all right is that what you're doing no oh what is it he's 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 assembling a metal deck chair by the sounds of it yeah i'm like dude i got fucking recording here i took a sip of coffee i sat back down all right what All happens right. in the darkness will surely reach the light of day. Make it easy on yourself. Make it easy on me editing. <laughs> okay. Sorry. But the... Uh, uh, you're moving um, around again. I, I'm li- I swear to God I'm lying on my back motionless. <laughs> my mouth and internal <laughs> organs are moving. My eyes are blinking. All right. Okay, good, good. Um... Uh, um... Um... um um, um, uh, 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 u